So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 17. Uh, and there's going to be some stuff in this that we don't particularly like to hear a lot of the time. Uh, that's true of most of Scripture, uh, to be honest, you know. Um, if it wasn't, why bother going into it? You know, we're... Eh. Who was that? Oh, I saw a thing on Twitter. I Thank God my wife is such a understanding person because she's the only person I can rant to. And every once in a while, and by that I mean a couple times a day, I'll pause what we're watching, I'll pause what we're listening to, whatever, and I'll just go off about something that was in it. And, and, and I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw a thing and it said, you know, I'm willing to wait longer for what I deserve. And I looked at Maddie and I said, what, you're, waiting to wait, you're willing to wait longer for hell? Because that's what you deserve. Sorry, you're a human. You deserve to go to hell. You don't because of Christ. But we, I said, it's not even my generation. It's not your generation. The very first sin, the very first sin what was it? I deserve to know. No, you don't. And we've been on this course ever since. So the Bible's chock full, and I say that stuff to say, the Bible's chock full of stuff that we don't like to hear, such as, you don't deserve love, you don't deserve peace, you don't deserve happiness. It's given to you because Christ is so good and so loving. But you don't deserve it at all. Now Maddie deserves it. She's great. And so today, that's not exactly what we're talking about today, but there's a couple things in here that we don't like to hear, that we don't want to do. And as somebody, especially the last thing that we're going to talk about, I, yesterday, yesterday, Maddie and I were at a gender reveal party for my best friend. Uh, he's having a boy, by the way. Congratulations to the Drucker family. Um, it took him about 20 tries. They did the baseball, and his wife wasn't pitching it well, and he wasn't swinging well. It was, it was great. It was hilarious to watch. And then they broke it open, and it's a boy. It's going it's to be great. But so we were there, and I was talking to somebody that was there because they were the, the apartment that my friend is moving into, the one of the rooms, they want to paint it. The nursery, they want to paint it. Now they know they want to paint it blue. My question is what's going to happen if they have another kid and it's a girl, but, you know, whatever. It's not up to me. It's not my house. Um, so, so I said, yeah, let me know. I'll come down and help you, Drucker. We'll make a day of it. It'll be great. The walls will get covered in paint. The ceiling will be covered in paint. The floor, you, me, everything will be great. And, and the person goes, well, I'll just have somebody else do it. And I said, because she was like, if you're that bad. And I was a little bit too confrontational and went, well, I did it professionally for about four years, so I think I know what I'm doing. The very last thing that we're going to talk about today is live at peace with all people. I'm not great at that. It's not something I like to hear. We got in the car, and I said, I know I messed up. And she goes, yeah. And I said, I, I tend to do that. She goes, what? I said, I'm not a peacemaker, and I like to be challenged. And, you know, you, we all have these things in our head. We all have conversations in our head. And everybody that I meet is way more confrontational in my head than they are in person because then I get to be way more confrontational in my head than I can be in person, you know. So there's stuff here that I don't like to hear either. Let's read it, shall we? Hebrews 12, 4 through 17. It reads, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more subject, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 12 now. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Let's dive into this. The first verse here, the first couple verses, go back to what we talked about last week, right? When it talks about laying aside every encumbrance and the sins that so easily entangles. And he begins verse 4 and he says, I say he, we don't know of course who, who wrote who wrote Hebrews, but I'm probably going to say he throughout the rest of it. But I wanted to make that clear. I know I talked about it last week a little bit more in length, but we don't know who wrote it. The author goes, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. This is a callback to the man who we just talked about in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter, where it talks about Christ scorning the cross and its shame and such. Nobody... The, the author here is basically saying, unless you have gone to the lengths that Christ did, you have no room to speak about resisting sin and how hard it is. It's hard. Notice he doesn't say it's easy to do, but he says you have no room to go. You have nowhere to go. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. You have not yet given your life in order to resist sin. There are Christians that have. There are Christians that will. There are Christians that are shedding their blood in order to resist sin. Those men and women remember a few years ago when all those videos came out of ISIS beheading people because they wouldn't give up their Christian faith. That's resisting to the point of shedding blood. I would wager, seeing as how everyone is sitting here, and I don't think anybody's a ghost, that you have not yet gone that far. Me either. So I don't want to hear about how hard resisting sin is. It's difficult. I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. It's incredibly difficult. We talked about some stuff last week, especially with our little sins that we kind of enjoy. It's really difficult to resist sin. But you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood yet. And then he continues on. So, sorry, let me say, number one on your note sheet there is resist with everything. Resist with everything. I should probably fill you in on those fill-in-the-blanks as we go. Resist with everything. Everything that you have, if it's your very life, don't sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no, there's no caveats. There's no exceptions. Resist sin. If it costs you everything, your job, your marriage, your life, your happiness, Resist sin. You're going to fail. So am I. Pick yourself back up and keep resisting. To the point of the shedding of your own blood, resist sin. 
And the great thing is, I'll say great, it's not really great, but you know, if you resist to that point, you don't have to resist anymore because you're in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. Number two on your note sheet there, God is hands-on. God is hands-on. These next few verses here, five, six verses, all talk about discipline. Who here, by a show of hands, loves to be disciplined? Huh. Nobody's hand is in the air. That's a good thing. Discipline is hard. Notice the word that's used there is not punishment. There is a difference in those words. I learned at a young age that my dad does not punish me. He disciplines me. At a young age, they sounded like the same thing to me. Here's the difference, right? When you punish somebody, you're doing the thing to them for the sake of, I'm going to use the word harming them, but not necessarily harm. I can't think of a better word off the top of my head. But you're doing it to them. You're not trying to teach them anything. Discipline, the point of discipline, is to teach a lesson. To teach the person not to do something. I'll give an easy example. When we were little kids, we used to get soap in the mouth if we said a bad word, right? We got to clean that thing out. I know some families, my family did not do this, but I know some families used to make their kids swallow the soap. We were allowed to spit it out. It's nice. Didn't really help because that taste of soap stayed on your tongue for like the rest of the day. What was the point? It's dirty. Don't say dirty words. Don't say mean things. There was a point to it. It was not just, oh, you were bad. I'm going to punish you. It was, yeah, you were bad. You have a punishment. But it's a discipline because I'm teaching you. The Bible here is saying God disciplines his children. And it goes on to say further, if he's not disciplining you, you're not his child. So let me ask you this this morning, because these are not my words. These are the words of the author that God decided to leave in Scripture. Does God discipline you? Because if he doesn't, you really need to reevaluate your relationship with him. Because there isn't one. You think you might have one. There's not. I can look back at my life at the amount of times that he's disciplined me. I have constant physical reminders of the times he has disciplined me. My ankle hurts every single morning because I was torn up when I was 19 years old because God had to teach Sam a lesson because he was too stubborn to learn it himself. It's great. God disciplines those whom he loves. And it goes so far there in verse 6 to say he scourges. To scourge somebody was to whip them. God's not whipping us. But it might feel like it sometimes, right? Disciplines those whom he loves. He's teaching, right? Take it back to Romans chapter 8. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. What is that good? It is to be more Christ-like. It is to become like his son. There is only one way to become like his son. You have to learn the lessons and become righteous through Christ. We don't have inherent righteousness, but in Christ we can have it. So he goes on, and here's the thing that I want to point out with this. It means that God takes a direct, hands-on approach in the life of a believer. 
deism is false. It's a heretical doctrine. Deism is the belief that God created everything. There is a God. There is Christ. You need him as a savior. So that's good. But the belief then that God created everything, gave a savior, and then went, it'll run itself and just sits up on his throne room eating bonbons or something. I don't know. That is not the God that you and I serve. God takes a direct, hands-on approach in the life of his children. He works in us. He works through us. He works with us. You can see, if you look back, you can see God's handiwork in every little detail. There is not a thing that passes him by. I've said it a lot over these past couple years. I don't know if I've actually said it from the pulpit, but I'll say it now from the pulpit. If you are a Christian, you cannot believe in coincidence because that would mean that God's not in control of something. There's no such thing as coincidence. God works. A lot of times in mysterious ways, you don't have to. Use your blinker. For the four of you that got that, thank you. That's all right. See, this is what happens. My brain starts going on rabbit trails, and it's not good. God is a hands-on God, and he loves each and every one of us, and he says, I'm going to discipline my children to teach them, to reproach them, to make them learn. Sometimes, some people, some people learn lessons way easier. We laugh because I wasn't necessarily a bad kid, but I wasn't necessarily a good kid either in a lot of ways. And, you know, of the four kids, my one sister and I probably came in tied for the amount of hair that my dad lost because of us. And then I talked to my wife. Her punishment was she was not allowed to read before she went to bed today. My punishment was you can't watch anything for a month because you're an idiot. <laughs> Maddie can probably count on one hand the amount of time she was disciplined in her 25 years. I couldn't count on all of our hands the amount of times I was disciplined. Because she learns lessons way easier than I do. It's just true. There are people that learn lessons. I'm stubborn. I'm pig-headed. So it's hard for me to learn lessons a lot of the time. So God disciplines me more than some other people. Less than some, more than some. Some people learn these lessons really easily. They read it in scripture and they go, oh, you're right. I need to do that better. And they go and do it better. I read it in scripture and I'm like, man, that sounds hard. I'm going to go do my thing. And then God's like, all right. God, I always used to say, right, God speaks in a still, small voice, and it's beautiful. I just don't hear it. So for him, he grabs the two-by-four, cracks me inside the head, and then speaks in a still, small voice. He takes a hands-on approach. And I, I challenge you, look back at your life, and you'll see it in each moment. Especially, it's easy in the big ones. I challenge you, look back at the little ones. And see how God worked and moved and did things. And I challenge you as well with this. If you look back at your life and you say, man, God's really not disciplined me. Reevaluate your relationship with the Father. Because Maddie, as great as you are, he's had to discipline you. It happens. So God is hands on. Number three, hard now, 
for righteousness then. Hard now for righteousness then. It continues on. He, uh, our author continues on there in verse 11, and he says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You have to face hardship now in order to have things later. We live, I, how many times have you heard, well, this generation is such a right now generation, they can't wait for anything. I'm here to tell you something, church. It's been that way since the beginning. You're not better than us. Yes, you might have had to wait for stuff because you didn't have this little thing that can pull anything up any, at any time. But you were still a I want it right now generation. So were Adam and Eve. And on. Over the past 6,000 some odd years, it's been that way. We don't like to wait. But then you have the old adage, right? Good things come to those who wait. Sometimes. This comes to those who wait, to those who face the hardship now and endure it. You gain the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is the first time he, our author, mentions peaceful. To be righteous is to be peaceful. We were talking, I was out, what day did we eat dinner with my parents in Binghamton? Thursday? Some night, we ate dinner with my parents in Binghamton. We had Chinese. I think it was Thursday. And we were talking, and, you know, I mentioned how I was talking about in the sermon last week about my anger, and Nathan goes, I thought anger wasn't a sin. And I said, Mo you're right that the technical emotion of anger is not a sin, but most of the time, if you're angry, it is a sin. There's very little righteous anger. How many times in Scripture do we know of that Jesus was angry? One time. And it was a righteous anger. He might have been frustrated every once in a while when his disciples weren't getting the picture that he's very clearly laying out. Probably gets frustrated with us for that same reason. But to be righteous is to be peaceful. And to live at peace with all men. But here's the thing. Nobody enjoys discipline, right? We figured that out already. Nobody likes to be disciplined. But it makes it a little easier when you know what's coming because of it. And you realize that, yes, a heavenly or a, a, an earthly father, and I had one of the best, have one of the best. He's not dead. Thank God. Have one of the best. Made mistakes. There were times when he had to sit me down and say, I'm sorry. I messed up. Will you forgive me? God never has to do that. Because his discipline is perfect every time. Every single time. And it makes us righteous. Right? We can look back at different things and go, okay, that taught me to be X. That taught me to do this. That taught me to think this way. And I had to learn that lesson. I talk a lot about anger, and that's because that's one of my biggest that I struggle with. But I can look back at the times when I've been angry and God has disciplined me and realize that it's teaching me to control that anger just a little more each and every time. Because I look back, for those of you that knew me when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, I'm not the same person I was then. Yeah, I'm similar. Still Sam. But the anger that was in me then is just not in me now because I've learned to control it because God disciplined me. 
so you can look back and see that his discipline is perfect and it makes us more peaceful in this righteousness. And then he says, listen, pursue peace. Number four there, our last one. Pursue peace with all, with everybody. One of the things that I love to point out about Scripture, does Scripture tell us to like anybody? No, it does not. Does it tell us to love everybody? You bet it does. Those are two very different things. It also tells us to live at peace with everybody. Doesn't matter if you like them. Doesn't matter if they agree with you. It doesn't matter if they're voting Biden or Trump. It doesn't matter who they are, what football team they root for. Doesn't matter if they're male, female, black, white, red, yellow. It doesn't matter what religion they follow. It doesn't matter. There's no caveat. There's no exception given. It says, be at peace with all men. We read in Romans, they, they, he, he changes it. Uh, our author there, that's Paul, says, when it's, uh, when it's up to you, because you can't control somebody else, right? I can't force you to be at peace with me. But you better believe that I need to be at peace with you, whether or not. It plays back into this thing. My dad taught us, all four of us, how to ask for forgiveness. And he said, listen, if you do it this way, your conscience is clear. The other person's might not be. Their conscience is clear. Right? It's this thing we had to sit down and you name your sin, you name what you did, and you specifically ask for forgiveness for that sin and or that, you know, that wrongdoing and such. I won't go fully into the process, but then it's on the other person whether they forgive you or not. It's the same thing here. Listen, you be at peace. I don't care what they said. I don't care what they did. I don't care what they posted. I don't care. Because Christ doesn't care. He says live at peace with them. Here's the thing. You may need to get off Facebook. That makes it a lot easier to live at peace when you're not filling your head with a whole bunch of garbage. You know, I can tell when I've spent too much time on social media because I'm just not the same. I'm aggravated. I'm agitated by everything. There have been times in my life, I mentioned it last week, right, that one of my encumbrances can be sports, right? We talked about the difference between sin and encumbrance. And sin is wrong. Encumbrances are inherently wrong, but they can be if you allow them to become a god. I remember the year, it was 2015. I was watching a football game. It was Eagles, I can't remember the other team, oh well. It was of course the Eagles. And I was with four or five other guys and we're watching this game and Nick Foles is having one of the worst games he's ever had. I'm like, I could hit those receivers and I'm a bad quarterback. He couldn't hit the broad side of a barn that day. And I could feel my temper rising, just starting to go through the roof because a bunch of people that make millions of dollars aren't making me happy. I'd like to be able to sit here or stand here and tell you I turned that football game off and went about and did something else. What actually happened is I yelled myself hoarse yelling at a TV screen that day. Afterwards, looking back, God and I had a conversation about it. That wasn't a good testimony to anybody around me. I still watch football games. I'll be watching football today. I've turned a few Eagles games off over the past five years. I probably will again. Because what's more important? And then it goes into here. 
It says, listen, be at peace, but don't allow sin to fester and grow around you, even if it doesn't come from you, right? It talks about other people there. You see, there's a way. Jesus was excellent at it, the best ever, at speaking the truth in love and still being at peace, right? I always think of the woman at the well. It's our perfect example. He never once makes an excuse for her, and he tells her what her sin is. But she walks away not feeling condemned. She feels loved. It's hard to do, but there's a way to do it. I'm not saying I'm good at it. In fact, I'll stand here and tell you I'm real bad at it. I come across way too in your face, way too bullish. I used to say it's the brush in me. I have been told recently it's actually the Freeman side, but whatever. My last name's Brush, so but there's a way to do it. And there are people that can do it so well. People like my mom who are just able, my dad can't either. My dad could come and tell me something and I'm like, you want to go? I know I'll lose, but I'll go. My mom comes and tells me something and I'm like, oh man, I can't, what? Because she's so good at that, at showing that love through it. Be at peace, but don't allow sin to fester and grow because you won't be at peace then. When sin is festering and growing, there's no peace. And it's up to all of us to do that. Now, I'm not here to say you should point out each and every person's little sins. Right? Why are you pointing out the twig in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own? But you know what? If you notice something, go up to them. Pull them aside, not in front of a bunch of people especially if you have that relationship with them. You know, I have a wife now, and she can come to me and say, Sam, you're doing this. And there have been a couple of times, not while we've been married, but while we were dating, where she would be like, Sam, you need to stop doing this. I just don't like it. It, it hurts me. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I will fix that and not do that anymore. And while she's perfect, there are things that if I, I, I could go to her, I don't have to, because she never does anything wrong. Remember how last week, I'm going to end with this. That's the end of the sermon. I'm going to pray in a second. Last week, you know how I said she's my little helper in the car and she taps me on the shoulder when the green light comes on? So we're parked somewhere, I forget where, at some light, and she doesn't do it. The first light that I didn't see change to green and we're first in line, she doesn't tap me on the shoulder. I'm like, you got it mixed up. That's when you should tap me and tell me it's green. I thought that would be funny. <laughs> if I can leave you with one thing, be at peace with everyone around you. It's tough. It's hard. But that's what this whole thing plays into. When God is disciplining you, he's teaching you. And the more you're disciplined, the more you're going to be at peace. Here's the thing, though. Learn the lesson the first time. Don't make him discipline you three or four times. Learn it the first time. It's way easier when you do it that way because he's got to get progressively harder the more you just don't learn the lesson. Trust me, I've been there. I know it. It's not fun. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we can come before you and, and speak and laugh and have a good time in fellowship, but hear truth from your word. God, I thank you that you are a hands-on God, that you are not a God who, who wipes your hands of this earth and says, it's just going to do its own thing. I thank you that you are intimately involved with each and every one of us. 
I pray that we would not be upset when you discipline us, but realize that you're making us more like your son, that you're making us righteous. You're making us, giving us the ability to be at peace with those around us. Yes, discipline is sorrowful in the moment, but I pray that you would help us to see the joy that comes out of it. And Father, I ask that you would help us to not need as much discipline, that we'd learn the lesson the first time, or not even have to be disciplined because we read it in your word and we hide it in our hearts and we meditate on it day and night. And we learn the lesson before you've even had to teach us the hard way because you taught us the easy way. Father, we praise you, we love you. Give us safe travels on our way home, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.